What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. Decentralized finance, smart contract, white paper, market cap. Hello. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, pre-NFT Paris, NFT Paris. Welcome to our NFT factory. Uh, I'm Arielle. I run all global comms and marketing and education for Ledger. I'm so thrilled to have you in our space today. It is very packed and we greatly appreciate it. Um, We're going to be talking today about generative art. We're going to talk about the collection of it, creative custody, so many things with the amazing people we have up here. I was joking when we sat down. It feels a little bit like a PBS News Hour on Sunday morning. So we'll <laughs> with the setup, but we'll try to keep it uh, light and iterative. So I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves and say actually where you're located in the world. And feel free to say your handle, which might be how you're better known, and then your actual name, should you disclose it. Hi, everyone. I'm Blockbird. I'm uh, from New Zealand, but I've just moved to London. I've been there for about a month, and we're going to try and live there permanently. We'll see. Um, Hey everyone, I'm Matt Miller, uh, otherwise known as Balone or Balin or Balin. I don't know, I've heard it pronounced a thousand different ways and they're all correct. Uh, I'm based in Dallas, Texas. Texas. (laughs) Hi everyone, my name is uh, Sofia Garcia. I am the founder of Artix Code and I am based in Miami. Hey everyone, I'm DeFi Staker. My real name is Jeremy and I am based in Toronto, Canada. Hey guys, I'm Eric Calderon, also known as Snowfro, and I'm based in Houston, Texas. Hell yeah, we've got some, we've got some Texas in the house. We have a lot of non-Europe in the house. We'll take it uh, in Paris. Um, I would love, you know, obviously with generative art, I think it's amazing. We have a lot of people in the room that are obviously very knowledgeable in the space. But when you think about the different categories of NFT or on-chain work that you can collect, generative art obviously is a unique birth of something that you can't find really anywhere else. So I would love for each of you to actually describe your journey into the space as either a creator, collector, or both, um, and how you approach it, what, what inspires you about it. Yeah, so um, for me, it was through cryptocurrency in, in general, coming in in 2017, I think. Uh, and then I guess it was after that period of... DeFi summer that I was looking around to see what else was going on and ended up finding this guilty pleasure of collecting art on Artbox and kind of berating myself for it, thinking I should be doing other things, more important things, but like it was just so addictive I couldn't stop and just got caught up in that crazy wave of, of 2021 and then it's yeah, I just enjoy it so much that I've just ended up immersed in it ever since. What was addictive about it for you? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, there's there's so many facets to it. So there's there's the collecting quality of uh, like finding things that you think are unique and interesting, and then bringing them together and, and curating stuff that you think matches well. There's the community side where you're you're hanging out with a bunch of people who are really excited about what's being released. Um, you're making new friends there. There's the fact that you can reach out to artists and say hi and have a conversation. Um, right away and I particularly found that with photography as well because I'm really into that and just the the ability to have new conversations with the creators that you love Um, and then of course like you'd be um, skipping over if you didn't say this bizarre financial component which is you know just a a giant um, 
game in a way, which is a giant sensory overload. Yeah. E e absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I took a slightly less conventional path into this space. Um, I never was involved in crypto or anything like that before I discovered uh, Artblocks, actually. Um, but prior to that, I'd always kind of enjoyed learning about art, studying art history, collecting art myself. And so kind of within the context of art history, you've seen all these various art movements occur over time. And this one just kind of seemed to fit that same pattern. It made a lot of sense to me where our world's going more and more digital. Now we have digital ownership and we have a new way of creating art digitally. So the light bulb just kind of went off. And like many others, I did go deep down the rabbit hole ended up spending way more money on Artblocks mints and drops than I ever planned to. But thankfully it worked out. We're sitting here now. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of my path to here. Um, I'll try to keep it quick, but it's like, a, in, I don't know. Um, I had originally been studying art history, working at a gallery, and it wasn't really working out for me, so I decided to take some computer science classes, and um, that really just changed my entire relationship with computers and the way that I think about um, human creativity and technology, and uh, a friend of mine actually was like, you should check out processing, and uh, the second I learned about creative coding and generative art, I became fully obsessed and so in 2015 I started an Instagram account called Artix Code and I was just trying to find out who else was interested in this type of stuff and uh, I started working as an engineer in New York and um, with that extra free time I started to collect the work from the artists that I was finding online and I started doing exhibitions and in 2019 I, I did an exhibition with uh, Tyler Hobbs and Dimitri Cherniak, and that was the first time we actually started experimenting with NFTs as kind of like this uh, certificate of authenticity for a physical print. Uh, we had the prints there, the code printed out, and um, it was a lot of good fun. And then uh, fast forward a little bit later, and uh, we started experimenting with more uh, online-only exhibitions through NFTs, especially during the pandemic. And then uh, when Ringers came around, <laughs> I was working with Dimitri and we did uh, an interview and I remember him telling me like, hey, like, you know, it's gonna be a thousand works. Can you like, you know, buy one when it comes out? And I was like, great, a thousand works. Um, I'll buy one after lunch. And um, <laughs> I went to lunch and I came back and everything sold out in 15 minutes. And I was like, who are all these people buying <laughs> generative art? What is going on? Because it used to take, you know, a few days to sell like, you know, like a couple of artworks. So um, that was my introduction to, you know, generative art, on-chain generative art art blocks, um, and it's been an amazing ride ever since. Yeah, my, uh, my venture into art blocks was uh, the classic come as a flipper and stay as a collector. And um, I had minted, my first mint was Algbots, uh, mint number 40, I think. And I had minted a couple of projects going forward, and I just remember I would like list them, and then one, one of my mints had sold, and that's how I found Block Talk, because I like, went, went back, looked through all the bot sales, and it was just everyone in Block Talk basically like, making fun of me, being like, this is a grail, sold. And, uh, and yeah, so that's kind of how I just stuck around, and it's been a fun journey since, and coming to these events, making friends, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really crazy to hear these stories. And I think it's incredible how many other stories are probably in this audience of people and their collecting and artist, artistic journey. Um, my, my journey into this is actually really interesting. I started creating uh, visual outputs with code uh, about 12 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago, using projection mapping as a technology. Uh, and that's what got me into writing stuff with code. And then fast forward to crypto, 2017, I kind of started dabbling. I collected some CryptoPunks. Um, 
I wanted to create this platform because I felt like this was a way that artists could preserve their work, generative art. You know, to me, that has always felt very ephemeral. Uh, I, I've kind of said in the past, like, I used to be on Instagram and I'd watch all these, like, beautiful artists post something new and then the next day they'd post something else that was even more beautiful or the same beautiful but the one from before just felt like ephemera it felt like something from the past and I thought it'd be really interesting for artists to be able to put their art on a platform in a way that was more etched more more permanent um, so that's my journey it was a complete hobby uh, that has turned into this um, craziness and yeah just really grateful for everybody that's here and getting to talk to these awesome uh, collectors and yeah we did a call um, before the panel with a few of the people that were on at the time, and uh, it was really amazing to see everyone's facial reactions to each other, of getting to see each other physically, which I think is such a common thing in this space, because so much of the progression of this work is only enabled by the technology and then individual curiosity around such. So everyone has their own surprise and delight around why they're actually in it. And I do find, you know, I want to kind of ask this as someone who's sort of the platform enabler, Eric? Like, do you see yourself as a gatherer? Or how do you see the relationship difference between being the creator and also being the gatherer with art blocks? I don't know. I think that's a hard, I think that's kind of hard. I, um, I've always been someone that was wanting to be inclusive. I don't like leaving people out. It's actually kind of a weird thing that art blocks is kind of so curated today because that wasn't, that was definitely not the intent, intention originally. But at the same time, we've had some brilliant artwork that deserves to be you know, recognized as such. And so um, gathering people has shifted from gathering artists that I followed that I was a huge fan of over the years of kind of creating with code to gathering people that are appreciators of this. And, you know, to be fair, there wasn't a lot of people. I, I did not know any other humans other than my brother that were collecting or following generative art in 2018 and 2019, right? Like, we, I thought that it was a very, very tiny community. In fact, I discovered afterwards that a lot of the artists were in like this group Slack channel and they had been for a long time and you know I would have loved to be a fly on the wall to hear them talk about what they think of art blocks when it first what came out. What were you right? talking about art blocks back then? Like what were you actually saying about it in the Slack channel? Well, I, were you in that channel? I don't know. I, 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 long time lurker. By her face yeah, that yeah, she yeah. was in that Slack like, channel. Lurker for sure. Um, yeah. I'm always really bad with all the different uh, like platforms, but I'll go in and I'll read every now and then. But I'm not very um, active. But I think it was just really exciting that it was like, okay, we finally have this place to showcase our work and people will actually buy it, like in a way that is like native to the way in which like it's created. And so that was always really special. And it's always been one of the most special parts of being a generative art collector and being, you know, being introduced to um, what Artblocks did. And also we have to give credit to uh, Larval Labs and what they did with Autoglyphs. Um, it's a big, big historic moment that really changed the game and the way we think about generative art on the blockchain. Yeah. Did you have more you wanted to say about that? Very good. Well, I mean, uh, autoglyphs, gosh, it's like yeah. the most etched permanent yeah. Uh, yeah. application of this. Um, very relevant to a previous panel that we just had when we talked about a platform called Plottables, which is using Artblocks technology to make physical uh, prints. You know, the, the autoglyph project literally encouraged you to then plot it. In fact, in some of the uh, videos and kind of the explanation of the project, they were showing a plotter. And it just, it feels like it really just kind of combined a lot of things that were really exciting, at least for you know, nerdy generative art collectors and creators. Um, they definitely lit the fuse uh, with punks and mebits as well, and it's, it's, it's wonderful to see where we are now. I don't know where we would be. It might be slower, it might have taken longer, so. 
for those who came and are, you know, kind of came for the flip and stayed as a collector, uh, <laughs> I am curious, like, what, what changed in you to become a collector and also over time, different ways that you've found new artists? Because obviously now, as opposed to being shocked that people want the art, I think there is still now this question of how on earth can I get it? Right, and so that has changed a lot the accessibility around it. So I'd love to first hear kind of what made you more encouraged to actually stay, and then we can talk more as a group about uh, the accessibility. Yeah, I think for me, um, I had kind of been longing for a community to be in. Like I'd been in crypto since 2017, but until I discovered Art Blocks and Block Talk, I I hadn't really established a community of like people I loved and just wanted to hang out with and talk art with, and that, that's kind of what got me to stay. That was like my light bulb moment. Obviously, making a little bit of money to be able to like flip and continue collecting, that helped. Like, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that without having made a little bit, but um, yeah, that, that's really what it comes down to. And then being able to meet everyone in real life just took it like, one step further, like establishing relationships and, and um, just loving everyone, meeting them for the first time. Um, putting a, a face to a handle or a profile picture. It's a, it's a unique experience, and um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what, what it's been for me. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, I guess it was a strange experience for me because I was initially collecting without thinking that there was really a, <coughs> excuse me, a financial component to it because I was, I was buying work at very cheap prices, and I was just kind of excited to put this together. And then, and then this insane financialization experience happened with the, the prices running up and so it became something different and I was like well okay I guess it makes sense for me to sell this stuff because like sh should I really be holding so much of my um, my worth in these pieces but then after doing that I was like well what do you really want to do with the money and, and really it's just buy more of this stuff <laughs> and so it just looped back on itself and um, yeah I mean other, other than having you know money for lifestyle and um, down payment on a house I'm, I don't have any uh, crazy uh, material world desires so it just yeah be, and being part of this community and making all the friendships that I have has been more valuable than anything I could think of doing outside. Do you think if the financialized component hadn't come into the generative art space, you would have collected in the same progression as without? I think so. Yeah, yeah I kind of wish that it had been a slower burn because when I was first buying this stuff, I was like, it's going to be five, ten years before anyone else really cares about this. And then eight months later, like, shit went insane. And I was like, oh, like, I want to keep collecting. Like, I was going to build a grid of ringers, and I had two. I was like, oh, I got plenty of time to get more of them or whatever. And then next thing you know, you wake up, and they're unattainable. And so you kind of do want to keep collecting. So then you start having to think about selling certain things to kind of, you know, continue supporting artists and stuff. And it's not as long as you keep, like, kind of recycling that capital into the ecosystem, I think. And obviously, people have real-life expenses. But um, in general, you're just going to kind of continue supporting all this new art that's coming out at an alarming rate. I think it's hard to keep up with, honestly, yeah. I mean, it, it really was crazy going from, you know, working with these artists over the last few years and buying their work for like a couple hundred dollars um, to then all of a sudden being like, I cannot afford to be your collector anymore. And that's such a bummer. I remember telling that to Tyler. I was like, man, I can't afford your work anymore. And he just laughed at me. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, You're like, so that discount, right? Yeah. <laughs> It does not exist, no. Um, it does not. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, that's a, 
a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's really incredible to be able to see um, friends that I love and adore be able to make a living off their art. Uh, you know, that's something that is incredible always to see. Um, and that there are actually collectors out there who are willing to to pay for it, you know, who, who see the value in it and want to do that. So, um, you know, there's... And personally, I'm like, damn, I wish it was cheaper. But um, no, I'm super happy that people are, are more than willing to um, to step up for it. When you know, it's interesting, obviously, because I think the love for for art blocks is so true, and art blocks is synonymous with protecting artists and purity around artists creating the work. Um, and it is also true that probably now, for new people who are coming on board, I would say look at art blocks for inspiration, but probably don't expect for it to be your first purchase. I am curious for the curatorial aspect that you mentioned, Eric, going back to that. Um, I was chatting earlier with a friend of mine, Mindy Sue, who created something called the Cyber Feminism Index. And a, lo yeah, and a lot of that was really curated by many different gatherers. And that's what she, she referred to it. All of these things come together as a gathering. And my name is on the book because someone needs to be there for the positivity and for any feedback otherwise, because it's a subjective nature. Uh, I am curious how you think about like, you know, should there be almost like an Art Blocks Junior? That's like the beginner's notion of coming up again. Or how do you all kind of find uh, people who are beginning in their work and almost help as a collector that's been in the space for so long for people to understand and artists to understand creative custody of protecting themselves but also actually how you approach pricing which I think is a really complicated part of the process as well and some of you are creators so you go through that I would love to hear feedback on that too well I mean I'll start by saying that an art box junior can serve a lot of things, right? So I recently, during the OpenSea royalty madness, I wanted to make yeah, a statement, curious, your right? And I had it, this yeah. idea for a generative artwork that was gonna make a statement, and I didn't have a place to put it. Like, Artblocks is six months behind on curation. Not behind, but like, we have stacked projects until then. Um, and I haven't explored the Tezos ecosystem, although I very much appreciate it. I love FXHash, I love like, all the things that are happening there. And, and so, not just for like, a junior, but also for a lot of us, like, I think there's an opportunity for for us to just be able to release something and then not have that focus that happens. So yes, I would very much love to see our Blocks Junior to exist, and you know that's something that we 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 have a million priorities at Art Blocks, and those priorities get shuffled with changes in royalty structures. Um, so that all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we have these crazy ideas of these things that we want to do, and it's like, oh wait. Now we have to like, address this other thing that is, in my opinion, existential. We are here for the artists. We want the artists to like, thrive. And um, so yeah, I mean, in my perfect world, which I work with 40 brilliant humans, and I, I don't want to be a dictator. Um, and so I want to work with everybody together. And as long as my team, which, gosh, I don't know where we'd be without the Artblox team, thinks that that's something that we're going to do in the future, then I absolutely want to pursue Artblocks Junior, or whatever we call it. But in the meantime, uh, there are some really wonderful platforms out there uh, that allow people to create in a generative, on-demand generative minting this, this experience of, of creation that I'm so passionate about, and uh, I'm grateful for it. Like, I, I don't know where we would be today if it wasn't for all of the other platforms that are out there that, that enable artists to produce. And then I'd like to comment on kind of like just strategy and thinking about it. I, I advise a number of artists, I represent a few of them, and thinking through um, what does it look like to enter the 
blockchain arena, um, and especially now. And I think it's worth discussing kind of the differences in the ethos between like Ethereum and Tezos. Um, you know, the price points in Tezos are very different, a lot more accessible for a lot of people. And it's just, you know, it, it's fun. It kind of like becomes this hobby um, in its own right. And so when there are artists who are kind of just coming in and don't know what to do, I, I do tell them like, check out Tezos, go on Tezos, see what's going on, um, play around with, um, you know, creating your own community, talking to people. Um, and then, you know, whenever you're ready, if you ever wanted to go onto Ethereum, like it's there and you can kind of start playing around with, uh, you know, there are different price points for, you know, reasons that we can get into later. Um, but that is one side. And then there are other points where I'll work with artists that I think are amazing. And, you know, we'll curate a selection and it'll be like maybe 12 pieces. And I'll either reach out to collectors directly um, and sell them for reasonable price points. So like anything under an ETH or something along those lines, sometimes we'll, depending on where they are in their career, um, and experiment that way. And really just like see like who, who's interested in this. Is this going to work? Um, do, are people connecting with your, your work in that way? And kind of uh, start iterating from there. But yeah. I just had an idea that Eric spawned on me. It would be cool to see artists like release stuff on Tezos under like an anonymous name and just like play around there see how it does. and just see how their art does without their name attached they, to it. They do that. Some do that. Like, they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casey, Casey, uh, uh, Casey Rios was doing that. Uh, Manolo Gamboanaon was doing that. Um, there were a number of others. Uh, but yeah, and then people were being like, Hey, did you know that this is Casey's secret Tezos wallet? Like, it's so fun. Uh, but yeah, more people should be doing that. Yeah. I, I think it'd be awesome. I think, think that's like some panel of, alpha. Yeah, because I think like a lot of artists probably feel pressure, like when they're doing a drop or something. So you kind of want to find ways to alleviate that, where they can create work and get feedback for it without, you know, having very many financial implications attached to it. So I'd like to see some more experimentation with that, and you know, continue to see people push that boundary. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important. When you think about power of the blockchain, you think about intergenerational power around IP. And so much of that is then conflated by financial need and pressure by particular market type. And I do think there is so much incredible opportunity around generative art in that. Um, and the way that all of you have approached being a collector or a creator from that is actually quite essential when you think about that capacity. Um, when we also think about sort of finding or using the space, I am curious like where most of you go to look for things? Like what is your sort of like, yeah, what, is your, what is your late night 3 a.m. scroll for art? Yeah, yeah I'll let you go first because. Yeah, I mean, it's a variety of places and it, you can very much get lost in the scroll. Like if you're in, you know, like many of us, 50 or 100 Discord servers and you're on Twitter following a thousand people, it can be, very confusing and overwhelming as well, trying to, to narrow things down to where the interesting conversation is happening. I think, I think in general it's slowly evolved. Like it, it was Block Talk at one time and then that got very crowded and now um, there's a community called Grailers, which some of us are in, which is like, has very high quality conversation. But then for many of us, there's also just little subgroups that we're in where we're chatting. Um, the, the best place to find the most interesting stuff is to see who the artists are interested in themselves, like who are they following at the moment, because they're likely, uh, they're likely aware of things that are being experimented on that, that I can't pick up on, but that are worth exploring if I, if I had more time, yeah. I think that's a really good point and something that's important to pay attention to what other artists are like thinking about their contemporaries are doing because you kind of have that validation you know I'm not an expert on what it takes to make generative art 
but I know there are plenty of artists who are, and they're all very accessible. And so being able to talk to them and get their expertise on you know, a certain artist project that you may not have heard of is, is really valuable. And I think that's what makes this, this space in particular so powerful is that you can hit someone up on Twitter and you know, ask them about their art and they'll respond. If you're buying art from a gallery, you might get invited to a cocktail where you spend five minutes with the artist you just spent a bunch of money on. So it's a really cool like, shift in, in the culture of collecting that I think is awesome. I mean, before, I'd say like a few years ago, Instagram was most definitely the place. Um, I would spend all of my time going through hashtags like hashtag creative coding, hashtag code art, hashtag artics code, whatever I could find to, um, you know, just, just looking around. And when I would find something, I would share it. And I was, that was always really fun. But I think once minting and, like started becoming a lot more popular um, and people started to protect their kind of their creative, uh, I guess, IP, that way they weren't really sharing on Instagram anymore. Um, like I know that like Dimitri stopped uh, posting, Helena Sarin also stopped posting, deleted her Instagram entirely. Um, and so Twitter and Discord um, has been like really, really helpful, beneficial because now artists aren't, they're, they're sharing their process kind of like in live time and being like, look at what I'm, like look at this thing that I'm working on, this work in progress. And you just become really connected with uh, that entire, process yeah like you're seeing it kind of uh, grow over time I know if William Mapan is here I remember when he was working on uh, anti-cyclone he was always sharing his work and it was so exciting to watch um, and then once it when it finally released everyone was really excited um, but I have to say like big thank you to like all the artists and the other collectors out there who are constantly sharing work that there's so much going on it's like hard to be able to have your like the pulse on everything so um, that you know having people that you trust you trust their taste you trust uh, the way they think about it um, and seeing them recommend something because everyone here is just like a really big cheerleader which is really great everyone gets really excited and shares things um, so yeah community is key on that point yeah I would echo my friend Blockbird over here and say Grailers for sure is a great place to find art sometimes it's difficult because I can't afford it all and there's a there's a lot of just a quality artist, quality art being shared that you wish you could collect everything. Um, it's a great way to find new platforms. Like I discovered Verse through Grailers. That's kind of how I discovered Lars. Um, so yeah, that, that's a great place. And then also Twitter. If you follow new artists, follow artists you like, the, the Twitter algorithm will like program itself to just start showing you more and more art. And that's been a great way for me to just kind of discover new artists. There's some there's some people on Twitter that <clears throat> I don't know what their life story is, but they literally light up my Twitter timeline. And one person I'm randomly gonna pick is this uh, this username Nuke N U K, who literally is art agnostic, platform agnostic, blockchain agnostic, and has literally introduced me to more new artists individually than anything else. And so beyond yeah. Nuke, <laughs> I mean, and it's all good. I mean. Yeah great sense of design and style and, and aesthetics. And then beyond that, it's the artists, right? Like we in this room are surrounded by some of the best generative artists in the entire world. And as they share their process, they also share other artists and they also like prop each other up. And again, this used to be a very niche thing and that has changed very much. And being able to see these people like get recognition for this, this craft that they've spent a lot of their life on pre-monetization, and I, I can't say that enough. Like, you, there's something so genuine about an industry of um, technology that is thriving pre-monetization, and then seeing 
that become monetized for a group of people that were purely passionate about this before. I mean, yeah, there was the Dimitris and the Tylers and a few that had the opportunity to show work in a gallery and, and had you know, the opportunity to be dragged into um, a more formal artistic um, environment. But then there's a lot that weren't. And those people have been making art for a decade using code and have continued to do that through this entire process. So, I mean, just mad props to them, uh, mad props to the collectors that are elevating these people that have just been so passionate about this, this art form for such a long time. And uh, there's so much opportunity out there for everybody. It's, yeah, you know, it's we could have 100 art boxes, we could have 100 FX hashes, we could have 100, all of the platforms, and I don't know that there would be, you know, scarcity enough, you know, like there's just enough out there for everybody. It's amazing. Yeah, well, it's so true, but also we're just made up of a sum of niches, you know, <laughs> and cultural authority creates use case. So by more and more people going into that, it gives more excitement and demand around it, which is essential. And I feel very much the same way around finding artists and then going into who they follow and actually exploring that and suddenly you've had this whole new world opened up to you and especially for creative campaigns but there's another account that's less web3 always focused but it's called entropy and i think it's the best at actually sort of mixed medium approach that you then see in other ways but um i'm i you know you can't talk about creative custody without talking about security around creative custody. Obviously, it's something we know quite well at Ledger. Um, but I do want to get kind of your security best practices um, from those of you, and actually, like, biggest fails, or, like, you biggest issues that you had. We could probably spend a long time on that. We don't have to, but... We already made the agreement that Eric was going to cover security. Should, should yeah. we give him all the <laughs> Yeah, like, he's... Yeah, please. The burden is on hey, you. take it away. <laughs> Oh man, I got, I got crucified me. recently for sharing my security <laughs> practices on your podcast oh. uh, the other day. So, uh, really? well, Wait, yeah, why? I got, because I shared that like it's okay for there to be temporary moments of centralization, um, mm -hmm. and you know, I I love my children. I occasionally leave them with a babysitter. <laughs> I I think that every now and then it's okay to like release custody of your thing as long as you fully intend on having that custody back, right? So if you don't intend on taking that custody back, fine, we should talk. But I do think that there are moments, there are situations where it's okay to relinquish custody. We relinquish custody of the most important things in our lives, but we just need to remember that it's very easy and it is a slippery slope to get back into custody. It becomes very easy to just forget about the simplicity of not having to worry about these things. Mm -hmm. um, there's different levels. I believe that, you know, entry level, um, MetaMask. Second level, hardware wallets. Uh, I have multiple ledgers. I'm OCD about how I collect. I have multiple ledgers, and within each ledger, I have multiple different addresses uh, where I'm trying to kind of segment my work. And uh, then beyond that, I actually believe that if you, the, the, more, the most security that you can get is actually spreading the seed phrase into multiple different places. And mm -hmm. that's uh, scary in some ways, but also incredibly powerful because you can't walk into my house and hold a gun to my head and take my art. You can't. I actually have to drive to Marfa, Texas to complete my seed phrase, which is stored amongst various different banks. Thank and you for telling us that. Yeah, well, that's just one <laughs> of the three. That's one of three. So, you know, the, the reality here is that, like, you can go crazy with security, and security shouldn't just be a matter of whether you're worried about your stuff getting scammed, it's also about your own safety. Um, these things became very valuable very quickly, and we're very public about, you know, especially as we start to kind of become 
doxed. Uh, you know, I, I recently have gotten to associate names with, with usernames. I, when launching our blocks, I became doxed. But before that, I was a collector of many, many valuable punks by the name of Snowfro, and nobody had any idea who I was. And that security was really nice. Like, there was a huge level of security there. As that started to go away, I started freaking out and panicking. Like, literally, I started getting very concerned about my family's safety, my own safety, because you see art heists for half a million bucks, yeah. right? Yeah. And, like, one punk can be worth more than that. So I think that security is really incredibly important. And um, I think the most important thing I think people don't realize with things like Ledger is that it's not, I mean, you know, I guess somebody can take your ledger and they could, you know, maybe get your PIN number. It's how hard it is to have someone pull your seed phrase away from you when you have a hardware wallet. That's actually what it comes down to because if you have MetaMask, you can export the private key, and this is how a lot of scams happen. They, they, they put panic into you into saying, okay, you know, put your seed phrase, in, we're updating MetaMask, put your seed phrase into this box and, you know, whatever it might be. But the reality is that with, with Ledger, you can't, you can't, you have no access to it. The only way to get access to it is to go find that, which is in a safe or in a safe deposit box or you know, hidden 25 feet underground, whatever your preferred um, security method is. And I, I think there's something really powerful. I don't think we talk about that enough. Like it's not, it's like the hardware wallet allows us to walk around with more security, but it's that extra layer that prevents you in a time of weakness, because that's how most people get scammed, from providing your information, your very valuable information to a completely unknown person, um, that, that's actually like incredibly valuable. And I think it's crazy that we don't all walk around with these ledgers, even if that, you know, um, as opposed to having like MetaMask on our phones, uh, it, it's just a very scary thing. I mean, obviously, I, I work at Ledger, so I feel the same way, but I, <laughs> but I, but I didn't come into it thinking of it as that type of like protection need. I came into it understanding that the internet has changed so many ways that we operate, and so therefore, the way that we need to secure our value and our time online is different. And that internet revolution is usually predicated with a hardware revolution, and that's where I see Ledger really fitting in. But I did love the example that you gave when we were chatting on the side about paintings. I'm wondering if you could share that, the art example with the watercolors. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, okay, so Ledger, <laughs> inherently is a hardware security company, and so what I'm about to say probably contradicts the security you know, protocols. But the idea that you would be able to hand somebody a ledger that already has an NFT in it, and they could just stick that in a safe, is, I think, a really important concept. And that would, that would require the thing to come packaged with an Ethereum address and like a pre-generated seed phrase. Um, I have uh, recently uh, had the opportunity to interact with some people that are not blockchain savvy or native and don't have a, a MetaMask account, and I wanted to give them a Chromie squiggle. And what I did is I actually just watercolored it on a piece of paper. I, look, I watercolor like a five-year-old, but I do enjoy the process. And I do it with my children, which makes it even better. Um, and then I wrote the seed phrase on the back. I put it in a frame, and I handed it. Um, and we talked about this a little bit in the previous panel. That, that watercolor is the squiggle. It is the entirety of the art. That art lives there. If your house burns down, you lose your squiggle. And that's exactly how art works everywhere else. You go to a gallery, you buy an artwork. If you drop it, like you drop the art, you ruin it, you spill coffee on it, whatever. I think that there's a gap here to bridge where, you know, we kind of over it. <laughs> the timeline that you feel that you need to hold your NFT is completely related to the amount of security that you can add to it. And so if you're not interested in listing it right away or in the next seven hours or 12 days or 30 days, 
um, as crazy as that might feel, uh, then there's no reason for you to have anything on your body at any point. Uh, and actually, this, this process of having to bring the seed phrase into a wallet to be able to do something with your NFT that even makes you think even harder about why what you're doing. Like, do I really want to sell this thing? Like, this thing is important to me. So I think there's a gap to be bridged there. Um, I think for everything in between, which to me is like 90%, like I think maybe my security practices are extreme. Uh, and then I think the no security practices are extreme. And then everything in the middle, this is what Ledger is for. This is what hardware wallets are for. But I think that's a really beautiful example of having something very simple for people to understand and that, that precious nature of which they treat it, which I thought was a, a special um, way for other people to get to hear it. I will also say I think it's very interesting that you know when it comes to security, a lot of it is also around ease of use. And people now are more comfortable taking a second around things. But when the bull market was happening, the FOMO culture was so intense. Um, and we are really happy to say that Ledger Extension, which is our browser wallet extension is actually now uh, in its first step of being integrated within our block. So that process will be much more secure. Mm -hmm. Ooh -hoo, we're very happy about that, so thank you. Um, and I, I do think your point too, Bridge, is something that I think we all can relate to, which is what is the proper usage of generative art in an IRL setting? And how do we dis best display it? I mean, we're both partners with Bright Moments, who I think have done a phenomenal job globally of going into a city and working with localized artists and making something interactive and onboarding in an experiential way that makes it more about the process than the, than the actual physical description, which is where we lose most people right now. Um, and so I'm wondering for the pieces that you've purchased as a collector, how do you actually like to see them showed up? You know, we're in the city of Paris, the city of art. Um, and as a creator, you know, what kind of makes you cringe? Yeah. I'll start because I'm out of wall space in my house because of generative art. Um, yeah, I think it depends on the work, right? Like some works are dynamic and you can interact with them and you can manipulate them and change the state that they're in. And obviously those need to be on a digital display. And I think we're really not quite there yet with having stuff that everyone can have in their home and play with. But that's one thing that really excites me about this particular type of art. Um, and then you also see like really amazing high fidelity prints. And I also just love the plotter. Like I think the plotter is like so native to generative art because it continues that extension of human to machine to physical production. And so I want to kind of continue seeing that being, you know, innovated on and developed with. Like Tyler's working with a company that we're also working with called Art Matter, and they are using airbrushes, paintings, you know, actually giving stuff with texture. Um, so I think like we're going to continue to see more exciting ways for people to bridge their digital works into the physical world. Um, so, yeah, but that's something that I'm really excited about. Yeah, this has been a bit difficult for me because I'm, I'm so nomadic, so I haven't had anywhere to put stuff up, but I really want to. My, my parents' garage is full of prints and so is my storage unit, and it pains me that it's all there and not displayed, but um, I intend to put it up um, in London now and, and buy some screens too because I, I really love the idea of that. So I can't speak for myself but I was just talking to my friend um, Shamrock earlier and he's going through the process of having stuff printed and framed and um, some of his original work too and he said it's really changed the way he collects um, presenting it in his home and thinking about how things go together. So he'll, he'll look at work that he thought went well together and think, oh, actually, I need to like sell this piece and buy something else that I think will, will blend um, in, in a better way for the home. So I think that's really interesting. I think seeing stuff in person, which 
I, I have only seen you know minimal work it has a significantly greater impact on you than obviously you know the open sea thumbnail is is cringeworthy inadequate but the some of the gallery programs are great but you're still only seeing it on the the size of your your computer screen and it, it really I saw at Verse Gallery um, Melissa Viderak's project the cosmic rays and they were printed huge and the detail was like just so fine and it was just amazing to see that and made me wonder about all this work that I have and what it would look like in, in that size. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ian Rogers, who's not here today, regrettably, if he was here right now, he'd be wearing his chromy swiggle sweater, which is uh, basically embroidered on there and I think that's appeared in more ledger content than probably anything else. And for my partner who did not understand NFTs, when he put a chromy squiggle sticker on her water bottle, that was the first time she was like, this is cool, this is fine. <laughs> I, I'm uh, still waiting for one of those chromy squiggle sweaters. I think we have some upstairs. Yeah. And one of those hats, yeah. <laughs> one of those hats too, you know. Um, I, did you wanna, yeah, I do have some comments. Um. If anybody has, con I mean, if anybody has shown NFTs in their glory, Nobody I've seen do what Sophia has done. So I, I would love to hear kind of what she has to say. Thanks, Eric. Um, um, yeah, I have a lot of comments and a lot of thoughts on uh, the display of NFTs because there's obviously no one-size-fits-all approach, but um, I think it also always starts with a conversation with the artists, especially when you're thinking about exhibitions. Um, not so much in your house, but still applicable. Um, I think a really good example of this is Jeff Davis's Color Studies. Uh, when we did an exhibition in 2021, um, that was one work where we were kind of like debating internally, like, should it be a print? Should it be on a digital screen? And then I talked to Jeff and he was like, it has to be digital. Um, this is a study on digital colors. Uh, it makes no sense for it to be uh, print. So I was like, okay, great, not printed. Um, on the same approach, uh, Casey Rios has a work uh, called Centuries, and they're circular and they're animated. And while we were thinking about this work, it was like, okay, um, what do we do here? Are we gonna like get a square frame and make some sort of porthole, or I don't know what? And then I just emailed him, and I was like, I'm thinking about it, and he like instantly just gave me like exactly how it was supposed to be displayed. It's supposed to be projection mapped on um, a circular disc, and we basically followed his rules, and it looked beautiful. And you know, it's. Just talk to the artists. I think another thing um, is uh, wire management, very important. Uh, wire management also depends on the context of the work. Sometimes the wires is part of the work. You want to kind of like experience the digital nature of the artwork and the wires are part of it, fine. Um, if it is not part of the artwork, hide the wires, please. Um, you know, just hide them, figure it out. Um, another thing is, uh, um, uh, uh, um, ratio size. So um, if you have an artwork that is square, um, just find a square screen, like find it. Like there's some here, you know, like it's still hard to find them, uh, but you can do it, especially if you're doing an exhibition or um, something that we've done in the past. Uh, we did something at Sotheby's last year. There was a work, it was I think four by five and we only had, um, you know, one of these 16 by nine screens. So we made a fake digital mat. Uh, so that work was at least intentionally placed within the screen. Um, and then you can have fun with experiments. So like with uh, Eric's work, the Chromie Squiggle in December uh, in 21, uh, we showcase it as, as a hologram. And that was something that I was kind of like, Eric, can we do it? Like, it'd be so fun. Um, and luckily he was, he was up for it. And it was amazing. And it was one of those moments where we were able to get, uh, you know, all the, the, the collectors and people who were, you know, fans of the Chromie Squiggle around and being able to kind of look at it as this like historic artifact, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's more 
to talk about, but I'll stop now. <laughs> no, uh, but it's good. It's very good to hear incredibly technical feedback for the group, and it, it is helpful because it's it's complicated and it's still yeah. new. And I do think you also bring up this interesting point of how it will be received, which when I think about the work today, even though there is a huge component of it is around the chain relationship. I do see a lot of generative work as being akin to same emotions that I feel when I you know, stare at a James Terrell piece and take in the different hours of light and how it affects that piece. And so I do think there is so much emotion within generative art, which I think a lot of people actually, if you're not as familiar with the category, don't give it that credit always. I, mean, I think that's what really um, inspires me to even do exhibitions in the first place. I know that the first time we did um, a show and we had some plotter works and we had some that were prints, um, I really just wanted to talk to people about what generative art was. That's all I cared about. I knew it was like people didn't understand it and it was just important to show it, have it in people's faces and take it outside of the computer and be like, this is what's going on. This is how artists are working with code and using it as their own artistic medium. And so I I think when you actually bring it into the physical space, it changes the conversation entirely. Because as you were saying, uh, OpenSea, the grid is, you know, to see work on a grid just doesn't know justice. And um, Alida Sun is also a really good example here, where um, her work was supposed to, her work that she did on Artblocks was supposed to be projection mapped. And to see it on a grid, uh, and also a still when it's moving and it's animated, uh, completely changes the context of the work and, and how how you might collect it, not seeing it in its um, actual performative environment. Well, I want to I wanna open it up to questions uh, to make sure that folks have enough time if you want to ask a couple. But I am curious, while you're thinking of some, if you can go around. And it's OK if it's neither of these, but since it did come up, uh, OpenSea or Blur? <laughs> none of the above. No, none, none of the above. None of the above. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has a question, raise your hand. Okay, yeah? Yes, thank you. I was wondering, uh, you were saying at some point that you were in crypto already since 2017, but you were missing sort of the community aspect until you found the art. Um, I was wondering, do you think that art is then the main enabler for community? Like, why is it that art can unite? I, I think it's one of them, for sure. Um, there's probably a bunch now, a lot more, a lot more than there probably were back at that time. Like obviously, you were in the CryptoPunks community. If I was in that community, I probably would have stuck around crypto during that bear market. But because I didn't find something that like gravitated me to stay, I kind of just disappeared for a little bit. Um, but yeah, for sure, I think art is one, and there's probably many more. But for me, it's been art. Another question. Yep, back, right back there, hand is up. Ah, hi. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Nina. Um, oh, my question is, you know, for as long as we've been talking about Web3, we've seen it as an opportunity to bring new people into spaces as a way to become more inclusive and to have people, particularly in creative industries, I come from fashion, but we talk about this in music, in art, as a way for people who typically didn't have access to showcase their work to have it. Are you finding that in the generative art world and in what you're seeing? Are we seeing more diversity amongst the artists than you think for those of you that were in the traditional art world previously? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's been really um, amazing to see a lot more women enter the generative art space, especially like in the market. Um, uh, in in Miami, about like eight years ago, we started a nonprofit called Code Art, where we teach young girls how to make art with code. And now we basically have this whole army of uh, girls, young women who are now well equipped to become generative artists if they so wish to. Um, but I think it's been really cool to see um, just how many people are can just enter the arena and, and they can apply to art blocks, they can go on FX hash, there's really no barrier of entry there and they can find their community and I think, um, you know, even like it, it, one of like the highest selling like female artists is from Panama, you know what I mean? She's she's from Panama, she has never lived in a big city, uh, she, like It's Soul Yard is her name, she's amazing, love her. Um, and you know, that's something that would never happen in the traditional art world. Um, someone who's just kind of hanging out on her computer, creating a community amongst um, the discords and all of these things, hanging out in DAOs, and has made an amazing career for herself that, that way. And um, that is, again, would never happen in the traditional art world. So, uh, yeah. I just want to add a little bit to that. Like, um, it's hard. Uh, generally, engineering is very male dominant. Um, not as much as you might even think, but it's hard even if you just extract to like employees of companies in Web3, right? And I think what's important is that we don't miss this opportunity to make change. Sometimes it's really hard to make change very quickly and it feels almost like, a, almost like brute forcing something that should not happen. Um, but we have an opportunity in art, in engineering, in, in generative art specifically. And I think that we need to not lose the momentum. And you know, one thing that I've noticed as I've kind of participated in this space is that I find like there's not a lot of women founders. I think there's opportunity for like, you know, women founders in this space. I find that women probably have a harder time raising money raising money for events. I think it's actually really disappointing what I've kind of felt. Um, I just I think Nicole is here with Vertical Crypto Art and I just I, there's just such a there is just such a lack of of Mikols in the in this world, and I just think we need you know like it's a, it's unfortunate. Like I think um, there's so much opportunity to have these wonderful conversations to encourage more women to participate. Not just women, like just non male, white male identifying artists would be really great too. Um, so it's an opportunity, and it is up to us to squander it. Like other. Uh, art forms or other generations or other um, industries have done so, and I really hope that we don't. And it, but it's a very difficult um, thing, and and it's something that can't. You know, you have to kind of give it grace in the fact that it's you're up against a lot because in all of the little sectors, whether it's engineering or the art world or f or, f or entrepreneurship, it's all so male dominated. Oh, I think just the last thing on that, or go ahead if you have something else, but I think sometimes we conflate like what is difficult with what is discomfort. Mm -hmm. Like asking someone to ask someone else or reviewing who is on what or saying, oh, I'm going to take this money and put it elsewhere even though it would be easier or, oh, that project is a good idea, but then I'm... Like that is what I think got a lot of us into blockchain was that actually you have the chance to skip a generation in terms of progress, mm -hmm. but everything is choice. Everything in life is choice and human evaluation of everyday habits. So I do think I agree with everything that's been said and it's individual choice and we reflect that every day in our actions. So that is also incredibly essential for the progress of the space. 
women tend to be, and this is just something that we've seen, like, and I've worked closely with the Art Blocks team also, getting women to apply to Art Blocks um, is a little bit more difficult, and I think it's more of like on a visibility issue. So um, when you're on Twitter, um, you will be more inclined to find a very confident man uh, talk about his project or whatever it may be and do so with like with gusto and that's fine, great. Um, women are, that's not happening at the same scale. Um, we found like a lot of women who were applying to art blocks were blind applying. Like we had never seen them online. They didn't have any social media, uh, but they were just kind of applying and we would see their work for the first time at that moment. And so um, with that, I think it's just like a call to action to just make sure we're like women, like it is, I know that Twitter seems scary um, and all of this seems really scary, but just, just post, just, it, it gets easier. Um, that was something that I know I had to get over like in uh, maybe like two years ago that I was like, damn, my career is actually all on Twitter. So I need to get over myself and just start tweeting. Um, and, and so I have, and it's been great. And so um, if there are any artists out there who are women out and just are nervous, just do it. Just do it. Um, it's the only way we can find you and start to work with you and support you. Um, you have to put yourself out there. So that goes more on like the personal choice thing. Um, please do it. Please. Here, here. Um, one last question, and then I think we have to wrap up. Yes, hand in the back. Hello, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been very interesting and overwhelming of information today. I wanted to ask maybe as a young digital artist, what is the easiest or best way or like to get involved into this new environment? And second question, maybe more on the communities because it's been, it's, it's an important thing. Uh, always we've been talked about it. Um, which, which is the most, let's say, involving experience as a community or what is the uh, most, yeah, best way of getting together? Uh, I know even the Metaverse today is an interesting feature for NFT, NFTs and maybe events or you've talked about Twitter and, and all. And yeah, maybe even benefits related to NFTs. It's interesting, but it's a lot of things, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to take that? I mean, coming in from a like joining community perspective is quite difficult because it is incredibly overwhelming initially, I think. Um, one interesting way I think that I recommend to people is to find a, a hub where everybody's hanging out, like the Artblocks Discord, but don't go to the most popular channels in there. Go and find the artist channels of the, the work that resonates with you and then have conversations with people in there. And it's, it's surprising who's in there and, and who you might end up meeting and the things they might recommend. Um, following people on Twitter, it can be overwhelming and exasperating at first too, but if, if you can find people that you really like and then look at who they follow and just, just pick 50 of them that seem roughly interesting and then just see how that evolves, people retweet the work and tweets of other people that they respect and it's just a matter of layering things on top of each other. And it, it, it takes time, but it's, it's absolutely worth it. You can end up suddenly just exposed to so much amazing stuff. Yeah, I think you touched on something that's important, and it's taking your time. Like, I think the space moves so fast, and it feels like you're going to miss out if you don't catch the next thing that's hot. And the truth of the matter is, like, you need to, like, take your time and go into something, like, with, you know, actual thought, as opposed to just following people blindly. Um, so really take the time to form your own opinions and, you know, decide to buy work that you would be very happy being stuck with. And I know... You know, that's, that's something that's been really important for me. 
Yeah, I mean, authenticity is key um, when you're trying to build a community and just being honest about what interests you and um, giving just true responses to things and how you feel about it is going to be the key way to just find people that um, are in your community. That's how it starts. Um, yeah. yeah, I would echo pretty much what everyone said. Um, just being organic, uh, being yourself, making connections. Um, that, that's what it's all about. And uh, I think by doing that, You'll uh, you'll you'll stick around and you'll you'll make friends in the space and and hopefully good things will happen. The last thing I'll say about process or about you know getting your work out there, I don't think that we see enough process. Um, I I love following generative artists that are like starting with the the circle in the middle. I mean I'm oversimplifying, but the circle in the middle of the screen, right? And then like six months later, there's like this beautiful evolution of work, and you can follow their work. Um, it, that's where the authenticity comes from. Um, in, in the generative art world, you know, like I spoke earlier about all these people that have been passionately dedicated to this medium for a really long time, and then there's, there's, a, there's a different group of people that's actually a very skilled coder that found that they had a creative side to them, and that's brilliant and amazing too. Like, who would have thought? They probably didn't know what generative art was. That's great, they had a head start over everybody else because not everybody else knows how to code. The, the establishment of authenticity through process I think it's just really important because it's establishing that you are learning. And because a lot of people that like, you know, people rush into it, like don't rush. Like this is, this, this, there's no more valuable advice than take your time. Um, I, I will be hitting my seventh year as an NFT collector this year. And if you think about like what has happened, what has transpired over that time, it's, in, it's absolutely insane. You can't package that into a tweet or a group of tweets, it just takes time. And I feel that I am a savvy collector because I've been around and I've seen, most importantly, authenticity. I, I feel that as a collector, I can identify authenticity from an artist intent just from having been around for a really long time. So take your time, share progress, share process. Um, you, it, it will be so rewarding for yourself to go back and look at all your process. And when you finally, re finally release the artwork, um, it's like this, you know, awesome culmination of, of work. It's, it's a really special thing. So I can't encourage that enough. Well, that's amazing feedback. And I really do appreciate the whole panel because it is a true embodiment of creative custody here. And, you know, Eric, the whole Art Blocks team, Hannah, we're just incredibly grateful for the collaboration um, and hope for it to continue much more. So thank you all for being here and listening. And yeah, have fun. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.